The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and fidelity. But these you should have done without neglecting the others. Blind guides who strain out the gnat and swallow the camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of cup and dish, but inside they are full of plunder and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, cleanse first the inside of the cup, so that the outside also may be clean. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings today speak of certain kinds of blindness, of spiritual blindness, of spiritual and moral confusion. Among those who should know better, Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, needs to address something that is disturbing the peace of the community. And it's something that the Christian people have known from the very beginning. A certain preoccupation with the day of the Lord's return. And the way that there have been from the very beginning, as Paul notes right here, self-appointed prophets who want to announce that the return of the Lord is happening soon. And Paul even says, and some of them even sign my name to the letters that they're sending. And there was this, on one hand, is an understandable series of questions because the Lord has promised to return. And we don't like not knowing the answer. We like to have all the details so we can plan. And the Lord very conspicuously has refused to give us those details. And that sets up a certain vulnerability among many in the community to a kind of fear-based preaching. The Lord is coming, and you better be ready. And it creates a certain spiritual frantic within us. We see it in the modern age here where every number of years there is a supposedly prophetic voice announcing coming chastisements. And it creates all kinds of spiritual upset in the faithful. And seeing this, Paul wants to set the record straight, and that involves doing two things. It involves first reminding the community to learn to discern rightly. Because not everybody who claims the mantle of prophet, 
not everyone who claims the mantle of holiness is really wearing it. And however, the other piece and the more significant piece is a certain element of so what? So what if Jesus is coming back tomorrow? You should be ready for that already. You should not need, if you are a real believer doing what you need to do, to be frightened into suddenly doing what is right. In fact, what's going to happen then is that is a sign that you haven't been doing it right all along. You're not suddenly going to get it right because you're afraid. And so note Paul saying, what you need to do is hold on to what you've been given, not the mysterious speculation about what might be happening, not the mysterious speculation about what could take place. You have been given something solid to believe, to know, to found your lives upon. And if you attend to that, to the tradition that you have been given, not the speculative novelty that so attractively presents itself. You'll be just fine. And note how Paul, speaking this way, articulates the church's longstanding position on the issue of the second coming. We should be living in the light of the second coming today. And I shouldn't need a warning to remind me about that. In fact, at the very heart of the Mass, with the Blessed Sacrament on the altar, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. And what does it say? Christ will come. Christian life is life lived in the horizon of the coming of the Lord. And it is a day that the church looks forward to, not with fear, but with joyful anticipation. Because that is the day where Christ will bring an end to evil and inaugurate a reign of unending good. How do we not wish for that? How do we not long for that? Except that there is that part of my heart that is still attached to evil. And that's the part that wants to hide that wants to run away. So know what Paul is really doing. He's surfacing within the community that disordered tendency which runs counter to the gospel, which is what gets upset. And he's saying we need to work on that and correct that. Hold on to what you've been given and make your spiritual home there. Don't worry that it's not mysterious. Don't worry that it's not as dramatic as you would like. Hold on to it because that simple faithfulness will carry the day. In no small measure, Jesus approaches a similar issue with the Pharisees and the scribes to whom he is speaking. And he uses some of his sternest language in all of the Gospels for this particular conversation. He turns to those who style themselves the experts in the will of God. 
the experts in the law of God, and he looks at them and he says, woe to you. Don't pass that statement too quickly because it's a very strong invective. Woe to you, unhappiness, despair, doom, a bad ending. That's what woe is. You are standing on the precipice of being lost is what the Lord is saying. Not, okay, guys, we've made a few mistakes. We need to correct some. He speaks a word that implies impending destruction and inevitable destruction. Destruction you're not going to avoid. Woe to you. And that's Jesus Christ saying it. And that should give us pause because once again we see that Jesus is not really interested in being nice at the moment. And he's not troubled about the feelings of those to whom he's speaking. Woe to you! And he doesn't say it to the tax collectors. And he doesn't say it to the prostitutes. And he doesn't say it to the idolaters. And he doesn't say it to the criminals. Think of all those times you might have said to yourself, well, you know, I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I've never committed a crime. I think I'm doing okay. Neither did the Pharisees. And Jesus says something to them that he doesn't say to the bank robber. How absolutely remarkable that is. Woe to you. blind guides. And note all of a sudden what the issue becomes. You should be setting the correct example. You should be leading others along the right way. You who style yourself the legitimate believer, the person of faith. Why are you leading others wrong? Why are so many either scandalized or left misguided because of you? And all of a sudden we see what the world considers to be the big issues are not necessarily what Jesus considers to be the big issue, especially for people like us who show up for daily Mass. Again, the Pharisees were very serious about living their faith, which should give us all pause. And they dedicated themselves to getting it right in the details. And here's Jesus saying, no, the devil really is in the details. Because you've lost yourselves in them. You become so obsessed with a narrow idea of perfection a narrow idea of correctness that you're spending your time obsessing over small things and making others lose their minds over 
small things. You are arguing, you are fighting, you are disputing over tiny matters. And while those matters are not unimportant, there are bigger things. And so he uses that remarkable instance of a person preparing soup and cleaning the water and straining the insect, making sure there are no gnats in there, because God forbid I swallow a bug. And so here we are. You're avoiding the little bug because you don't want to swallow it, and you're choking on a camel. Now, how many of you have ever tried to swallow a camel? And again, we have one of those marvelous impossibilities that Jesus sometimes builds into his teaching. And we have to laugh when we hear it. Jesus does use humor. St. Paul uses humor. And we often miss it because, like the Pharisees, we're so serious about wanting to catch all the subtle little nuances of meaning in every little word that we miss what's being said. And so Jesus throws this image out. This is what you're doing. See how stupid you are. You're avoiding the gnat and you're choking on a camel and I don't even know how you got it in there. And when we hear that, note all of a sudden how in its own way it diffuses certain things. And Jesus is saying, woe to you, oh invincibly stupid, you don't even know how far off course you are. And he uses the ridiculous example so that the Pharisee can laugh at himself. Not so that others laugh at the Pharisee. The Lord uses that example so that we can look at ourselves and have a healthy and a healing laugh. Because that's us. That's us. We so readily and so easily obsess as if it's the most important thing in the world over some little detail some little wrong, some inconvenience I've suffered. And we say, you know, we even play the game, I know there are bigger issues, but this is mine. And this little thing is my issue, and it's what I'm feeling now. And nothing could be more important than that. And Jesus is saying, oh yeah, quite a bit is actually more important than that. And so he looks at the Pharisees and you're obsessing over these little points. And you're trying to make everything right. You create a perfect and smooth appearance. All the details of your religious observation are correct. You show up at the right time. You say the right prayer with exactly the right gesture and the right words. You take care of all these small obligations. It's all in order, and people look at you and say, oh my God, they've, he's got it together. And yet the Lord is saying, and yet you don't even see the poor on your doorstep. And you overlook how easily you give one another your back. You overlook more fundamental matters. 
And so in the name of maintaining a certain exterior good order, basic human decency and charity don't have a place. That's what you're missing. But you're so busy creating this perfect little illusion in which you live, you can't even see it anymore. You're blind to it. And so he goes further and he says, look at you. Before you eat, you take the cup and you clean all your dishes on the outside. And last night's dinner is still sitting on the inside and that's where you're putting your food. You know, imagine that you had the dirty dishes in the sink for a week and you pull it out and you're going to use them. You take the cup or the bowl and you scrub the outside of that bad boy and it's gleaming and you forget where you're putting your meal and that stays dirty. Again, note how marvelously, ridiculously stupid this is. Who does that? Who does that? Especially because when you pick up a bowl, the first thing you see is the inside. You know, you would hope, like, oh my God, I'm not putting anything in there. And yet here's the Lord again with another crazy example. And he says, but this is what you're doing with your life. Smooth on the outside, under control on the outside. Oh, so marvelously pious. So superficially good. That classically empty Christian smile. Oh, brother, how are you doing? And yet inside you, you're thinking, oh, it's you again. Oh, please make him go away. Everything looks good, but inside you, you have a dirty vessel that you're hoping to fill with the grace of God. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. In fact, the filth that's inside sooner or later is going to come out, and it's going to ruin all that wonderful appearance that you're making for yourself. You know, we have that expression colloquially, don't we? And his true colors came out yesterday. You know, the, all that anger that's inside, it came out for a walk and it wasn't pretty. Um, so note the Lord saying, pay a little less attention to the appearance you're cutting. Because giving a good example doesn't mean a splendidly perfect appearance. A good example means a right way of living. And work on that. And it's okay if the outside's a little scuffed up. As long as you're working on the inside. Note the Lord says those little gestures, those right words, they're not unimportant, but they have no importance if the bigger things aren't with them. So yes, try and have both. But first things first. Get the heart right. Get the charity right. And now think about this in the context of what we're doing at Mass. Because this image, this image of the cup that Jesus uses here is something that across the centuries spiritual writers have picked up on. 
and it runs through Catholic theology in various ways across the centuries. But think about this. In just a couple minutes, we're going to come forward and we're going to receive our Lord. And on the one hand, on the one hand, we're going to come forward and we have a way of doing that. There are gestures that we use to receive him well and rightly. And those gestures are not unimportant. It is worth learning them, mastering them, and getting them right. But what matters even more is how clean the heart is that I'm receiving it. On the one hand, I can come forward and to the eyes of the world make the gestures of a saint. And that really doesn't matter if I have an unwashed bowl into which I am receiving that ocean of mercy and goodness. Note how important what Jesus is saying is. Those external gestures are not unimportant. That's how we remind one another that what we're doing is significant. That's how we remind ourselves that what we're doing is significant. They're worth getting right. But even more important is the question of what's going on in here? What kind of welcome am I giving the Lord? Is the house unswept? Is it neglected? Am I taking the goodness of God and pouring it into a dirty glass? In fact, this image is very dear to the heart of St. Louis de Montfort. He speaks about this is one of the differences the Virgin Mary makes in our lives. Because she is that pure glass into which the new wine of grace is poured and is completely unspoiled. Receive completely well. And that when we unite ourselves with her, she can aid us in making our hearts more pure and more ready. Because what we don't want to do is fall into the habit of holding out the dirty bowl, asking the Lord to fill them with the good fruit of the kingdom. Better that we have a clean bowl. Jesus says all of this because we matter. Jesus goes after the Pharisees in this way because he wants them on board, because he wants them to get it right. And he uses these sharp examples and this strong language because he knows how numb they've become and he needs to wake them up. Sometimes the gospel readings that were given, sometimes the scripture readings that were given have a bite to them. And that's why. And that's why, because we so easily forget how significant what we've been given really is. And the simple fact of the matter is, let's be honest, if you're really tired and you're really exhausted, an alarm clock that's soft and gentle is not going to wake you up. You need that discordant, sharp sound of the jangling bell that practically scares you awake. And so here is the Lord doing that for us today. He wants to wake us up out of our sleep because we've been that tired. We've been that sluggish. And so he says, 
by all means, by all means, don't swallow the bug, but take care of the camel first. When we come forward today, would that even as we come forward, we really mean what we say in that beautiful prayer right before we receive Holy Communion. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you. My heart's not in the most perfect of condition. But if you say the word, I'll be healed. There's a cleansing that can happen even in that moment if I turn to you. Let's take that seriously today. And let's give him not just the heart that I have now, but the desire for that heart to be a more worthy vessel for him. And that is a marvelous way of receiving him. Amen.